don't know one word. En todos. En todos? Lugares. Lugares. In all places. That means everywhere? Yeah, I don't know if there's another better word, a more concise word, but that's... Say it again? Yeah, that's... Donde quiera. Donde quiera. Means everywhere. That's what we say. Donde quiera. Pejucos, donde quiera. Correcto mundo? Si. Gracias. I love teaching you our, my informal Spanish. Oh, yeah. I never... If it's not in Rosetta Stone or Duolingo, mm -hmm. I may not remember it. Oh, okay. Unless it's a bad word. Hey, I mean, Siri. How do you say everywhere in Spanish? In Spanish, everywhere is... En todas, todas partes. That was perfect. En todas partes. En todas partes. En todas partes. Mm -hmm. Gracias. So you were saying, I'm sorry, um, the bad words? Yeah, yeah, words. yeah. Uh, carajo! Nice. That was, <laughs> that was passionate. Yeah? Yeah. Which other ones do you know? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I've heard several of them muttered from time to time. <laughs> yes, you have. Coño. Coño. Pendejo. Pendejo. Puñeta. Puñeta. That's ugly. My parents would be like, no. <laughs> oh, there's another one I'm not going to say, though. Are you recording? Yes. <laughs> Hold that thought. So, what other great swear words do you know that you can share? That I can share. Do you know the one I'm thinking of? Chocha. Yes. Oh my God! You, you just said it. <laughs> yeah. So casually. Well, it's it's again. People are like, eh. <laughs> You know, these songs, these words make them their way into songs. Oh. Reggaeton, you ever listen to reggaeton? If you, if you really listen to the lyrics, yikes, some of them are quite vulgar. Would you care to share some examples? Well, nothing. I don't have any lyrics off the top of my head. I would, I would love to, but they talk about a, um, things that leave little to the imagination. Like <laughs> dining on someone, or <laughs> like a sushi buffet on somebody's body type thing. <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? Great euphemism. When you yes. say dining on yes. someone, I picture someone on a dining room table. <laughs> I mean, they're not eating the person; they're right. eating food <laughs> off of the person. Right. You know, it's artsy. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's say that. Let's say that. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Oh, 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 Bad Bunny saying, Mi bicho está cabrón. That's. Right. The, I, I understood, I think, me. From all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Mi bicho, my penis. Oh. <laughs> not, not the clinical term for it. That's not the clinical term? No. So your doctor wouldn't come in and say, You have something <laughs> wrong with me. Pinchon? Bicho. Bicho. What is no, it? No, and bicho. Bicho. And um, esta cabrón is the shit. Oh. It's like my dick is the shit. Okay. Oh, God. Sorry, wow. everyone. Wow. <laughs> Everywhere. Hmm. De todas partes. Me disculpo. Wow. All right. Well, thank you for so, sharing all that. That was very educational. Yes. 
Go Puerto Rico yes. <laughs> with our vernacular. No, not just PR. Everybody's got their. Everyone says bad words. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I forget sometimes that I have a podcast. I uh, and I found this episode. I had dropped a couple of podcasts already, three, four, six. I don't remember, and. I was trying to clean things out on my computer, and I saw that I had recorded a podcast, and I forgot about it. So we just listened to it this morning, and I figured I would bring in here my wife, Nancy, the podcast queen. Thank you. Who is extremely consistent. She has it marked in the calendar. I'm recording on this day. I'm dropping on this day. And then all week she spends editing it. Editing it. <laughs> uh, and what, Nancy? Is the name of your podcast. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> so, Nancy, welcome. It's nice to see you, as if we don't spend 24-7 together. <laughs> How are things? Again, like, I don't know. Well, let's see. In the last minute, no. Uh, thank you, Christopher. You're welcome. My podcast is Boricua American, mm-hmm. and it is produced, written, and um, basically, it was created, produced, written by my sister, my lovely sister, Yovani, who's on the uh, the East Coast, and myself. And it's about all things Puerto Rican. See, we were born and raised into a big Puerto Rican family in New Jersey. So we have the benefit of both the Puerto Rican and the American culture. And we talk about everything from what that was like to have those two cultures blended to highlighting all kinds of things in the Puerto Rican culture so that we and our, you know, everybody can remember, especially if they're raised here in the States, can know their roots and um, who came before. So we spotlight mm-hmm. prominent Puerto Ricans from history or from any field, any industry, um, things from the island like flora and fauna or food and holidays and customs and you name it. We'll talk about it. True crime, serial killers. Mm-hmm. We got it. All. We talk about it all. Do you have a favorite episode? Ooh. Or maybe a top couple that that Yeah. Well, all right, I'll give you I'll give you two separate um types. So my favorite episode I think is Mark Anthony. Mm. <laughs> Cuz I have been a fangirl of his forever and it was just so much fun to research his life and not even putting any of his personal life on it, because that's a whole other episode. We're not interested in that, but just his career and how he, you know, scrapped his way to the top. And um, just the megastar, so the megastar he is today. And, oh, God, any any assignment where I'm listening to his music and watching videos, uh, <laughs> that's a dream job. Uh, what do you mean, any assignment? Like, if you were a reporter, or you mean just doing the research on your own for the podcast? That, doing my okay. research. Yeah, it entailed a lot of watching some of his concerts, his interviews, watching videos, listening to his music, behind-the-scenes stuff. It was just so much fun. Like, I'd be researching at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, and I'm dancing to <laughs> Bayaboy in the kitchen. Like, hey, this is research. <laughs> and then my other favorite is a series. Mm. It was a serious, serious eight-part series on Ariel Castro. The Monster of Cleveland. And not, I don't say favorite in a sensational way. Yo- Giovanni and I did a slamming job on that research because 
Okay, so forever, who, for those who don't know, Ariel Castro was a Puerto Rican guy who held three women captive hostage in his house for 10 fucking years. And so we went all the way to his origins, to when he was a kid, things that happened to him, traced his life. He had ma- actually he was common law married to one of to a, to a distant relative of ours. And the whole thing took place in Cleveland, where we have a lot of family. So there were people that knew him kind of peripherally and had dealt with him a little bit. So it was a little freaky. I just think we, she and I did such a great job in, in getting all the details, diving into how he got away with it for 10 years, the criminal justice system at the time, the sociological factors, talking about Grimilda, who was our cousin our, and, and his common law wife, and then just diving into the girls, um, Grimilda and the three girls that he had captive, their stories, they are absolute heroes. So it was really an honor. And I still think about them from time to time when I'm going through something hard, like a medical exam or something like that or something painful. I'm like, if they could get through what they got through, I can get through this stupid thing. So just diving into them and how they've meant how they got out that exciting moment when Amanda got free and then the other girls get went free and then just how they've rebuilt their lives and just have thrived despite all the absolute horror it was just a story like no other no other so I was just proud of the way we put everything together that was out there and it took a long time and it was emotionally draining to do but such an important story so yeah I remember when you were researching it I mean you were doing all the research and mm-hmm. you were obviously very ensconced but just from you telling me everything I became ensconced and yeah you're thinking about it all the time and you're telling me some like a particular little story and I'm just think going through in my head how could she have gotten away? How could someone have come along? And even trying to change it in my mind. Mm. Like somebody, you know, came down the street and said, hey, what the hell are you doing? And, you know, blew the whole thing wide open. But Yeah. Well, thank you. I know I went off on a little tangent no, there, but uh, thank you. <laughs> it's so interesting. I mean, I, obviously, I listened to all the episodes. They were all amazing. Thank you. And uh, all your podcasts. You're very organized. You're very good. I, I need to be more <laughs> like you. So that is the Boricua American podcast. Do you ever have guests? Well, <laughs> yes, we have had one. <laughs> no, I'm lying. We've had a, a, three guests. Mm. Well, we've had you. You have been gracious enough to guest oh, host. Oh, that's right. To, <laughs> to fill in as a host when uh, my sister has been absent. And also as a guest guest here and there. To I was in the Mark Anthony one, wasn't I? Yeah. That might have been one of the first because I sat in because I have become a fangirl of my of uh, Mark Anthony as well. You've seen him twice. I've seen him twice. <laughs> and then we had my parents on to talk right. about their experience moving from Puerto Rico as young adults to the states and that whole thing. So yeah, but we'll, we'll uh, that's going to definitely be another phase where we will have other guests from right. time to time. We just um, haven't been ready yet. <laughs> Do you have can you do you have any upcoming episodes you're excited about or ones that you want to do? Yes. Well, the one that we're going to record tomorrow is about nas- the National Hispanic Heritage Month that we're in right now, which goes every year from September 15 to October 15. So, we're going to give a little bit of it's going to be a little on the educational side, but it's an important observation. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to give a little history and then some ways that to help you know, how you can celebrate and, and 
you don't have to just celebrate during these four months. You know, if you're listening during this, these four weeks, if you're listening later, you can always learn about Latin culture and celebrate the achievements that Latinos have brought to America. So very proud of that. And that's not just Puerto Rican. Even though we our focus is Puerto Rican, we know that all our Latino brothers and sisters have made great made great contributions in every every area of life. Mm-hmm. So then um future plans. Um I would love to do cover the life of Hector Laveau, who is a huge like a salsa legend. Um his heyday was like the I don't know, sixties. 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. and then um, I want to do Menudo. <laughs> Whoa. I mean. That should be a large one. Yeah. That that's could like, be a series. Definitely going to be a series. Jeez, who else? Well, yeah, those are the. Oh, and we also want to f- start featuring towns in Puerto Rico. Oh. Like, you know, a little history, a little, little spotlight on like Yauco or Utuado or San Lattes. Juan. Lattes, thank you. Yeah. With so, the ice cream. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we're going to, you know, do things like that and uh, continue on nice. whatever and whatever anyone, if anyone um, has any ideas or suggestions on things they want to talk about. We've done Santeria. That was fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, um, now it's going out to my millions of listeners who uh, you have to listen to the Boricua American podcast. So, um, well, thank you for sitting in with me this morning, Nancy. Thank I, you. Um, I have this, uh, this podcast that I just found. It is about being on set. So uh, I hope you listen and enjoy. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Enjoy, everybody. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you, Chris. So here's my latest podcast. It's something about acting. People have asked me, what is set life? Now, a couple years ago, I would have said, I have no idea what the hell are you talking about? But since I became an actor, which... Since I live in Los Angeles, I feel like that is a requirement. You, uh, you either become an actor or you've got some connection to the acting industry. You know an actor or one time you did background somewhere or, or you took some classes. A couple years ago, I became an actor. And peop- yeah, so people would ask, what is this set life? Because I see it in tons of hashtags. And I'll use it myself sometimes, and I guess usually it's somebody who doesn't live in the L.A. area will say, "What you know, what is this? So basically, I guess what it is, is you, it could be anything from you're on a full-time TV show. So that sounds to me more like set life. But it's also if you're just doing shorts, like a short movie or you know a short film clip or whatever you might be going there for one day and that life is life being on set you can also say something to someone who's like oh hey are you going to be in class next wednesday say no i'm going to be on set you can say you can just say on set without saying specifically i'm shooting a movie for this network you can just say i'm on set and people are like oh okay you're you're on set so I did a uh, 
I guess in the, a week or two ago, I did this uh, thing. It's kind of, I guess it's like a documentary where uh, they film a bunch of episodes. They're recreations of bad things that have happened. Crimes. So I, uh, you know, I find out where it is. It was up in the valley somewhere. And I've got to be at this location at a certain time. Now, I, I go to these things so ridiculously early, it's embarrassing. They say that if you show up on time, you're late. So if you're supposed to be there at 4 o'clock, you should be there at four at quarter to 4. I usually show up at 3.30, which because I decided at the last minute to leave even extra early, I'll be there at 3.15, sitting in my car. So now I'm sitting in my car, looking around, seeing, is anybody else here yet? There's usually guys, like, unloading a truck or something. They always uh, get there earlier than the actors do. And then I'm starting, like, well, do I want to go in 45 minutes early? And then, you know, I've done that. I haven't gone that early, but I I had one. I was only about 20 minutes early, and the director guy was, like, caught off guard. He's like, oh, wow, you're really early. You're really early. I'm like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. I'm always early. Yeah, I'm early. So I at this last one, I waited till I saw some people who looked like actors start to walk in with their stuff. And I guess it was about 20 minutes before I was supposed to be there. And I go walking in. And uh, it's May of 2023. We are still doing COVID protocols. So I go in and they um, I have to uh, I got to show them my vaccination card or the thing on my phone that shows I was vaccinated and boosted. Then they take the uh, test. They stick this freaking long-ass thing up my nose. And uh, she's like, oh, don't worry. I'm just going to... Just the tip. <laughs> and she's Just the tip. And then she's telling me about how, oh, it's so awesome now. We have this automatic thing that, I don't know, somehow gives the um, results sooner. And um, they make me put on a mask, which I'm not used to because we haven't really had to wear masks in most places for over a year and um so now I go in and of course the day I got there it was my first and only day on set and I figured it was the same for everybody but everybody else seems to have had at least one or two other days on set so they all know each other and here I am who's this new guy (laughs) so just about every set I go on it's always it's kind of awkward at first you know, you're sitting around and you're like, oh, God, nobody's talking. No one, you know, no one is going to make conversation. And uh, there was one time I remember I was doing, I think it was a student film. And I go to this house up in the valley. And the funny thing, I mean, I'm in my 50s. I go to these student films and it's being run by like 20-year-olds. So I go to a house up in the valley, a regular suburban house. And, you know, I ring the doorbell and they invite me in. And the parents are like my age. And sometimes they're great. They're like, oh, my God, come on in. Let's talk. Well, they, they must have been introverts or something because they, they don't, like, say a word. They just kind of hang out in the background and look. And the director, who I guess was their son, points me to a living room where I'm sitting in this living room. And it wasn't your – it looks like at one time it was a really nice living room, but now – I guess their kids grew up, and there was it was kind of like a storage room. There, there's like a piano, but you can't even sit on the bench because there was just boxes and 
things all over the place. So I go, I find a chair in the corner, and there's two other actors in the same room with me, but we're at like three ends of a triangle. We're not like sitting right next to each other. So it kind of kills any small talk. I mean, you start to say something to someone, but they're 20 feet away, and you can't sit next to them because there's nowhere to sit. It, so it was, it led for, I was just like, oh, this ain't going to be one where we become friends. However, once later in the day, we were outside and then we were just kind of hanging out. And that's where, that's where you get to know other actors. You, you just, you kind of start sharing stories about, you know, the training you've had or things that have happened on other um, sets. And on this particular one, I think, one of the, the girl who was in it, she had just moved to L.A. And she said she was so nervous she could barely talk, which didn't show. I told her, I said, it, that did not show at all. I said, you look like you know exactly what you're doing. Everything, every scene that we were in, you seemed to do exactly what you were supposed to do. And so you get to know people. And it's, it's, I feel like it's the same thing every time. You go in. You're like, nobody's going to talk to each other. And then by the end of the evening, you're all best friends. And, but then the thing, you might follow each other on Instagram, but chances are you're probably never going to work together again. You're never going to see each other again. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you make good friends and then they have an upcoming project that they recommend you for and you end up working with them over and over. But other times, yeah, I've, I've used the term friend slut. You become really good friends with somebody, and then, you know, you leave, you part ways, and you never call again. But on this one, I thought it was going to be like that. But when you're spending, I think we were on that set for like eight hours. And once you start doing scenes together, things kind of loosen up, and you become, you become friendly. Like the first, we had to... Um, this was based around murders. And it was fun because... <laughs> obviously, it was fun. But it was fun because um, you didn't have to memorize any lines. It was just one of those where there wasn't going to be dialogue. And you... They'd set you all up, like, in a room in a church. they tell you, everybody, you know, go around and sit. they tell you, like, you sit here, you sit here. And then once they call action... The director is telling you what to do because they're not recording audio. And in this particular one, they um, somebody sadly had been murdered. And we were at the funeral. And I was sitting in the second row right behind the mother of the deceased and the brother of the deceased. And it's my first day on set. It's my first scene. Everybody else knows each other. And the director tells the mother, all right, go up in front. You know, you're you're like doing the um, the uh, funeral speech. What is that called? The um, the eulogy. She they didn't tell her ahead of time. She's just like, OK, go up and do the eulogy. But, it, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. Just stand up there and look sad and say a bunch of words. And then um the uh, brother of the deceased goes up and helps her back to her seat and cut. So um, then uh, between takes, everyone was talking and the someone asked the director, who is the murderer? Who did this? And he, I didn't even know that the guy knew my name. And he pointed at me. He goes, oh, Chris. Chris is the murderer. 
I'm like, what? Uh, me? I'm like, well, what am I doing here at the funeral? And he goes, well, you know, some people are sick people who will, um, you know, they don't know who the murderer is, and they'll go and look at their work. I'm like, and I, you got me sitting right behind the family? This guy's a sicko. So uh, he's like, yeah, I guess so. But that that was fun, I guess you could say. Then, like, as the night goes on, you go back into the waiting area where they have tables and chairs set up for us. And uh, they also have a um, what's called the craft table where they uh, this place was good. They uh, they had a lot of donuts. I didn't have a donut, but I did have a cookie because they went to Porto's, which is a uh, very famous bakery in the valley. And they got lots of donuts, croissants and whatnot. I had a cookie. I was like, that. I don't want to get anything on me, you know, when you're wearing clothes that you need to be on film with. You don't want to have a uh, a big jelly stain on it. But I uh, started, yeah, we made small talk with some of the other actors. It turns out they're all really nice people. And um, then they come and they, they're like, okay, we're going to put you in this. And now you're going to play the murderer being interrogated. So they dressed me like a prisoner. And I go in, and they uh, they had this, like, a smoky scene set up. So I'm the murderer, and we've got um, a guy and a girl are both the detectives, and they are interrogating me, and I'm telling the story about what I did. Apparently, this particular person did not try to hide anything. He was just like, yep, you got me. This is what I did. I stabbed the person over and over, and I'm showing how I did it. It was kind of sick. It's kind of sad. It's actually very sad because this happened, although it was decades ago. And we improvised. We got through the scene. The one detective pointed to this huge scar I have on my right arm and was basically like, oh, is that how you got that? And then after the scene, the other detective looked at it, and he was like, wow, did they do that with makeup? That's incredible. And they're like, well, that would be incredible, but no, they did not do it with makeup. That is uh, part of my human anatomy. So we finished that scene, and it got dark shortly after that. And so now we have to film the actual scene where I commit the murder. And I never know what's coming. On this type of set, you just you don't know what's coming next. And on a regular set, you you have a pretty good idea because you've memorized your lines, you know what the scenes are. But here they'll come over and say, "Here, try this on. Uh, does this fit? Okay, good. Now stand by." And then sometime in the next thirty minutes or so, they'll be like, "All right, come with me." So I was walking out of the room I was in with all the other actors, and at the same time, there was a girl walking out, and. Uh, I had seen her from across the room, but I hadn't actually talked to her. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, I understand you're going to be my murderer. So that's how we met. So we get over to the set and the director starts pointing out what's going to happen and start doing rehearsals for what's what we need to do. So basically, I have to come out of the bushes and ambush her in a parking lot and grab her from behind, shake her around, then pull out a knife and stab her. So I find this always to be very important. After the director has told 
you and your co-actors what to do. I always like to check in with the person and say, is all this okay with you? Because there's, you know, there's touching involved. And uh, she was like, yes, absolutely, no problem at all. Um, but I've heard stories, and they probably date back decades, where the guy will, <clears throat> even if he's working with a woman, will take her and rough her up and throw her up against the car and just be like, hey, it's got to look real. We're professionals here. And I've heard of people actually getting injured in these situations, which is horrible. Shouldn't be getting injured while you're trying to do your job. So he showed us how to do it. I had to reach around her from behind, like I'm grabbing her around the neck. So what we would do is I reach around her and grab her shoulder. Then she grabs my arm, and all the movement happens by her moving my arm around. So I don't do any movement. I just grab her around the shoulder, which is good so that, you know, I don't hit anything else. And uh, she struggles by moving my arm around, and then uh, that's how we'll do the scene. And then I pick up the knife, and I we cut it there. So that's how we did it. And then she falls down on a crash pad that they had behind the car, and then she gets out of the way, and then I pretend like I'm stabbing her a whole bunch of times. And at one point, while she was flailing around, she sort of hit me on the arm and then apologized profusely, which I thought was uh, kind of funny, considering what I was allegedly doing to her. But they, uh, they ended up covering her with blood and getting a couple more shots. And they're like, okay, just one more shot, and then we can go eat. They served us some kind of chicken dish from a local restaurant, and uh, they'd gotten a bunch of salads, but they ran out of salad dressing, so I ate a nice dry salad. Uh, but I ate it before. I ate the chicken dish, which was wonderful. It had rice and some kind of corn medley on the side. And um, after that, after dinner... We now had to bring everybody out to the same scene for the scene where uh, the body is discovered. Now, they got everybody into this scene, including myself. Now I'm playing a CSI agent with a CSI jacket and thankfully a CSI hat. So hopefully you won't be able to see that the... <laughs> CSI guy is the guy who committed the murder, even though even though he wasn't the guy who committed the murder. But the actor portraying both roles, because I guess we're on a budget here, is going to be the same guy. Now, when we started doing this, they had it really cool. They had uh, they had the police tape and they had this uh, they had a light in the bushes that made it look like there was a cop car nearby that was showing red and blue flashing lights. But at the same time, right when they're about to film, there was a helicopter above, which just, it turned out to be perfectly. I don't know if they used it, but if you live in L.A., at any time of day, you know that there can be helicopters circling above, either looking at traffic or looking at a high-speed car chase or looking for fugitives. I don't know. But it just, I, they may have been looking at us, thinking that we were, because it looked really good. They did a really good job making this look like a crime scene. So uh, we had to. We went through this a whole bunch of times, walking around, talking to each other, making small talk, shining our flashlights in the car, over the car, around the car, and uh, this was this was pretty uneventful, all except for the fact that 
somebody said, look, there's a raccoon, and it was on top of a fence. There was this, we had these huge lights, so the whole fence is lit up, and there's a raccoon walking one way on the fence, and coincidentally, there was a possum walking the other way towards it on the fence. So now everybody stopped, ran over. The director apparently has a thing. He can't stand these small animals with tails. So uh, he, he didn't enjoy it. He, he got over there. He was, they were filming. I believe they were filming the raccoon and the possum. As it happens, the raccoon just uh, shot up a nearby tree, and the possum stayed on the fence looking at us. I just remember those two big glassy eyes and that long rat tail on the possum looking at us. And so we enjoyed that for a while, then got back to work, and uh, I think they got all the scenes they needed. So now, at this point, it's getting kind of late. It's like, um, I didn't realize it, but I got a uh, text from my wife saying, I'm going to bed. I'm like, going to bed? Jeez, God, we've been here for like five or six hours doing this. But I guess sometimes you forget what time it is. Uh, you know, you're hanging around till midnight, one in the morning, and uh, you kind of lose track of time. So... We got a couple more shots to do. I uh, eventually, I became the murderer again. And now I've got to jump over a fence in the bushes and they and cut my hand. Because I remember they came up and they put, they put um, makeup, they put fake blood across my palm. And it's like, right now, I think it's 1.30 in the morning. And you had the makeup person putting that on. And from my memory, there was like, the entire set just assembled behind that person because they wanted to see how it would look and they have the camera on it and the light on it. And I thought it would have made a great selfie to get me and this whole scene, but it was also 1.30 in the morning and people were weary. So I didn't want to be, I didn't want to start taking selfies, even though I think it would have made a really cool shot. So they, uh, I, I fake like I'm jumping over a fence. Ow, I hurt my hand. They get a close-up of the hand, and then I run by. And Then there, there's one more shot we got to do. I got to jump in somebody's old car, and I got to drive around. So it's just me and the camera guy. The camera guy is in the back, and there's no music, but I'm like, I guess I'm all charged up, and so I got to be like banging on the steering wheel and shaking my head around like I just committed a murder. So I've got to drive all the way to the end of this parking lot over like four speed bumps, turn around, and come back. Now, we discovered a couple of things. For one thing, well, I normally I wear glasses when I drive. So I couldn't be wearing my glasses because I wasn't wearing my glasses in any of the other shots. So it was no big deal except for the fact that with the lights shining at the car and the amount of condensation that had accumulated on the windshield, it was hard to see through whether you were wearing glasses or not. I felt it. The camera guy felt it. So that was one challenge. Plus, you're driving right into blinding lights. Also, going over all of these little, not little, but these speed bumps, there was pretty bad suspension in this car. And it, so it's like really bouncing as I go over, and it's kind of bottoming out each time. And 
the camera guy is like, well, now I'm concerned because the car belongs to his assistant camera person, and she lives in Long Beach, which is pretty far away. And so now he's worried about her driving all the way back home with poor suspension and poor visibility. So while we're doing the shot, You'd think this guy is, like, flying down the highway, cranking heavy metal and banging on the steering wheel. But in reality, I am doing, like, four miles an hour because we can't really see out the windshield. And I don't want to take air or take ground, I should say, when I'm going over any of these speed bumps. So something they always say is, don't worry, we'll fix it in post. So I guess that's what they're going to do. They're going to somehow make this look good. But uh, we got the shot. That was the final shot of the night. And now it was time to wrap it up, say bon voyage, and head home. Which was nice because now it's approaching 2 o'clock in the morning. And I know that I'm not going to have to worry about traffic. Because in L.A., everybody is obsessed with traffic because you don't have much of a choice. So overall, it was... It was a great day on set, met some really nice people, and, uh, you know, hopefully I'll have a chance to work with some of them again. And that, at least from my perspective, I wouldn't say that is a, it is kind of a typical day on set, but um, it is a day on set. Some vary, and I will uh, be happy to expand on that a little more in the future. But that is that, that was my most recent experience being on set. So I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>